Principal Matters Podcast, episode 145. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. You can check out all my resources for school leaders at my website at williamdparker.com. This week, we're continuing a new series with my guest, Jen Schwanke, who will also serve as our co-host for this series on strategies and solutions that work for school leaders. We're continuing our conversation on building and maintaining a positive school culture by looking at specific scenarios of how to address cultures of isolation, distrust, but build cultures of trust. Jen, welcome back to Principal Matters. Thanks so much for joining us for this series of episodes we're hosting together. Listeners, if you want to have a longer intro to Jen Schwanke, who is an author and a principal in Dublin, Ohio, you can listen to episode 140 or last week's episode. But Jen, I'm so glad that you're here today. And before we dive in to this episode, I would think it would be great for listeners to know a little bit more about you. You're a mom. So in addition to being a principal- I'm a mom, yep. Yeah. So in addition to being a principal, what are some of those other responsibilities that you have uh, that are so fun in being a mom? You know, I've got two kids. I've got a third grader and a sixth grader. My student, my kids have gotten to attend school where I've been the principal, which is a blessing and a curse depending on the day. But Jack is 12, 11. He's 11 and Autumn is nine. And I know you've got four of your own too, Will. So I know you understand the balancing of parenthood and school leadership. Yeah, so uh, we had a bunch of band activities going on this weekend with with our kids, and I know you've been doing a little coaching. (laughs) I did. I coached uh, basketball and track early, early in my career, and this year I dusted off my basketball and coached a third grade girls basketball team, which is a lot like herding cats, but boy, we had fun and we did a lot of laughing and and really learned some basic components of the game. Today we had our last our last game and um, lots of smiles and some tears too at the end. It was it was. It was a great experience. Well, it's great to see you again. And Principal Matters listeners, you remember last week when Jen and I shared, we talked a lot about building positive school cultures, which include gauging your past, building from the ground up, and keeping momentum. And all of those conversations and strategies, if you missed last week's episode, please go back to the website or you can wherever you download your podcasts and check out that conversation. But this week, I want to dive a little deeper into some of the takeaways, Jen, that you have on scenarios. One of the things that I like about your work, and I've read your book, You're the Principal, Now What? Strategies and Solutions for New School Leaders, which was published with ASCD. One of the things that I really enjoyed in studying this book was your ability to take scenarios and give principals some scripts, just some ideas of conversations they can be having with their teachers or their staff or maybe even their superintendents of ways to to manage culture. So let's begin by Something that's with a couple of negatives. I want to talk about the principle who may be walking into a culture of isolation. So go there with me for just a minute. If I'm a principal who's walking into a culture of isolation, what's a conversation that might be helpful for me to consider and how to deal with that? Well, I think the first conversation is the one a principal would have with 
himself or herself. By a culture of isolation, I mean that teachers have been allowed to follow that teacher instinct. You have heard it too, Will. I just want to close my classroom door and teach. I just want to be left alone. And somewhere along the way, that has in in fact happened. And sometimes this is because some damage occurred along the way. You know, there was budget cuts or there was a strike, God forbid, or there were things that happened to make people just want to retreat into their shells. And, you know, if a principal sees that, they can ask themselves, my goodness, what happened? Why is it so quiet? The trigger for me is when I walk into a building in the morning before the kids are there and it's silent. If nobody's having a good laugh or at the coffee machine filling up their cup and talking about their days, talking about their lives outside of school, you probably have a culture of isolation there. And the conversations you can have with staff can can maybe try to bring them out of their shells and say, hey, we're in this together, you know? And and if a school has no laughter in it, it's a, probably a big red flag that there's some isolated feelings it, within the school walls. Mm. So let's do a little role-playing. So let's- I'm uh, up for let's, it. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So let's <laughs> pretend, for instance, that I'm, I'm an English teacher and you're sensing this lack of collaboration happening among your staff and you're my principal. So you, you come to me and you want to have a conversation about that. Jen. So let's, let's just go there for a minute. Let's role play. What would that sound like for the principal to try to engage a teacher in addressing or exploring what's happening within their culture? I think it would start by me saying, well, hi, I'm just here and hoping we could talk for a few moments. I'd love some perspective about how we as a staff are working together and relying on one another. Okay. And I might say something like, well, well, great, Jen, thanks for asking. So what, what, <laughs> what are you wondering about? Okay, and you might also say, "Well, Jen, I don't care. I don't care. I'm tired. What you know? What do you want to know?" You might sound um, very worn out, and I might just say, "You know, how do you feel? And what is it that you see happening within our staff or within our school that we might need to work on?" Yeah, and so that makes me think about conversations I've had in real life, and you have too. And so I'll, I'll keep being that person. So I might say, "Well, Ms. Schwanke, you know, you may not know this." But there are there are people among our our teaching staff who just simply don't like each other. You may right. think that we all like you know are positive and we're all in this for kids, and I am. But there's uh you know there are other people that right. just really don't like the idea of working with other people. They just want to be left alone. And so I'm I'm kind of shining a light for you on something that might be might be a cancer in our school. What you just said, well, that I've had that conversation 500 times, and probably so have you. So that is a real response that someone would give it. And as principal, I would say, I hear you and I definitely see that. And of course, I know that that's not you, but tell me why that might have happened. What has has happened in the past to fracture some of those relationships? Mm -hmm. And then I would really listen. And, you know, schools are deep, 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 rich with history. And so you'll want to find out what has happened. In the book, I give an example of where there were budget cuts and some colleagues were cut, but you know, the basketball coaches, coach, his department wasn't touched. And so there's resentment and there's history and there's Mm -hmm. anger. And sometimes schools don't recover from those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And so I would ask what may have happened and I would ask why. And then I would say, well, what do you think, you know, is there anything else you'd like to share with me? And what do you think that we should do about it? And what you're doing there is you're asking for feedback. You're asking for collaboration. You're not commiserating and say, oh, I agree. Some people in this school, they're just, man, they're negative and they're toxic and they're cancerous. Whoa, woe is me. You're going to say, great, what are we going to do about it? 
Mm, I really like that. And let me just take a step away from that scenario for, for a second, because it's just reminding me, Jen, of a statement that I often hear school leaders make. And we make this so flippantly now that I think that we sometimes don't consider the implications. And, and so, I, I don't know, we can disagree on this, but when I often hear the phrase, we are in this for kids, this is just about kids. Our school is focused on what's best for students. I don't disagree with those statements at all. But often what I hear implied by some school leaders is, I don't care what you want, teachers. I want to know what students want. And maybe that's not the implication. Maybe it's not. But I think sometimes teachers feel that. Or sometimes they feel like the emphasis and the goal that we have for serving our kids, why should that be separate from what I need to? Right. That's a really important distinction you've made. And I think a lot of school leaders hide behind that. They say, well, we're here for the kids. It's all about the kids. And I would vehemently disagree, actually. The adults in your building have to feel valued and empowered and trusted in order for them to do what's right for kids. Mm -hmm. I've seen leaders throw that out there in the universe like a grenade. And it is, in fact, a conversation stopper. So if somebody comes and says, you know, I'm overwhelmed, I... I'm not getting a lunch. I'm not getting a plan period. And the principal responds with, well, we're all here for kids. It's a conversation stopper. And it is so demoralizing when a staff member has the courage to reach out for help or with a frustration and they get smacked in the face with that. Well, best for kids. I think we need to be better than that. I think we need to use that phrase as an overarching philosophy, but not as something to hide behind and um, not help our staff members or the adults in the building be the best they can be. Yeah. And I feel like you and I are stepping on some almost sacrilegious. Right. Oh, yes, we are. (laughs) Sacrilegious words. But I just want to stay there for just a moment because I think it's important for context because these things are often more nuanced than we would like to admit. But it's the same perspective when it comes to teachers. It's the same perspective when it comes to your non-instructional staff. It's the same perspective when it comes to parents. And it's the same perspective when it comes to students. We are part of a community. And so what's what's best for our community is that every member feels valued. Every member feels like their Everyone. input mm-hmm. is important and every member feels like they're a part of the solution and the care and there's an understanding of everyone so that together you're reaching the goal of serving students. So often I hear feedback from like corporations that are held up as great places of culture and I'll just name a few, Southwest Airlines or Chick-fil-A or right. Google before some of the more recent things that they've talked about in the news with those, <laughs> with those groups. But for when you look at studies on, on corporate culture, so often those corporate leaders will say, well, our first goal is to make sure that our employees, Starbucks, our employees feel exactly. so valued as employees that they love to serve our customers. And so Absolutely. I, yeah, so we can't separate that from school leadership either. So I think it's so important when you talk about cultures of isolation, the scenario that you just gave is so important. Take time to listen and understand, not commiserate, but at least provide the atmosphere where people feel comfortable being real with you so that together you can go, you know what, that is bad. And I apologize that that's happened to you or I acknowledge that that's happened to you. Now let's, how can we move forward? Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, you know, miserable teachers make for miserable classrooms, which make for miserable kids. So we have to make sure that our teachers feel heard and valued and then their entire 
approach to how they teach will be more positive. And that is a really good segue into the next culture that we were going to discuss, which is is a culture of distrust. You know, if you have a staff or a cult, a school culture, really, if you have a culture where there's gossip or there's negativity or, you know, things cannot be trusted for how they're said or what, what really is being said, there's a lot of hidden layers beneath it. That's a, a culture that a leader needs to acknowledge and deal with, I think. So let's go there for just a minute. And I know you've had experience with this too, but let's say there's a, a, a new school leader or an experienced one who recognizes that there's a culture of distrust it, sometimes that's brought to you by someone else who can who can see that and shine a light on that. And sometimes I know that principals have positive and negative relationships with upper administration. I've had the privilege of working for a good superintendent. I've, I've had the experience of working for leaders that aren't strong, but the last superintendent that I had was just not only a great leader, but a good friend who would be honest with me about, hey, Will, here's some things right. going on at your school that you need to reflect on. You may need to be aware of things I'm, maybe I'm hearing as an outsider or when I'm inside, um, that you need to reflect on. Well, I think you're on to something with that, with the superintendent you talked about, the trust was there. If you didn't trust him and he told you, hey, here's some things to work on, you would think, wait a minute, what's he really saying? Is he saying that my job is at risk? What's he saying? But he wasn't. He was saying, hey, heads up, here's some things to think about. And so with that foundation of trust, everyone is able to grow. Trust is a tricky thing because you can't command it. You can't say, okay, everybody, we are all going to trust one another. It, it takes more work than that. And it takes everybody understanding their role in it. Do you know what I find is a really interesting gauge of trust within a group of people is if people blind copy an email. I feel like blind copying anyone on an email is saying, I'm tattling or they're saying you're in on a secret and this person isn't. I think blind carbon copy can be incredibly toxic. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you say something, say it to everybody, you know? So if you're in a building where there's a lot of BCC going on, then somebody (laughs) doesn't trust somebody and it's something to look on. Really easy way to gauge what's going on. (laughs) I've never thought about that too. The, um, of course, you want to BCC large amounts of email addresses of people who don't want their information shared. But when it comes to well, those, yes. <laughs> yeah, but when it comes to those internal conversations, you're right. Just say it. And, uh, and, and well, I, re- I got myself in trouble with that when I was a new teacher because I didn't know what BCC meant. Email was very new. And I had gotten BCC'd on something and I marched right down the hall and said, you know, wait, wait, what's going on? I don't understand. And what had happened was somebody was tattling on somebody else. And I basically blew the whole case up in in everyone's face because I didn't know what BCC meant. And the person who sent it was like, that was a secret for you. And I thought at the time, you know, I'm 24 years old and I thought that doesn't feel clean to me. I just feel a little bit dirty with all of this. And since then, I've just thought if you trust people, you don't BC. BCC. You just put them right on there. Well, and I've also, especially in the last several years, have stopped emailing the things that I need to say face-to-face. And so, yes, because I also find that email is something that can be a crutch or can be an easy out. And so it's just so much better. And plus, you know, in today's age, anything you write, you could expect to see on the front page of the newspaper or on someone else's site. So, those things that need to be said anyway, well, and find a way to say it. And 
that builds trust because mm-hmm. a, a culture of distrust is one where emails fly around faster than people making connections. Mm-hmm. And so if people are communicating by email and not just taking the 20 steps to walk down the hall and look somebody in the eye and say, hey, can we talk? You know, that email can be a real culture killer. Mm-hmm. And like you said, just to talk to people and, and, and not hide behind the keyboard will really go a long way in building a trusting school culture. Well, and I also love the phrase that I learned from a leader when I was in college. I was a resident advisor on a scholarship and the dorm director who did our leadership training was more than just a dorm director. He he really cared a lot about uh, student leadership. And I remember him saying to me one time, Will, if you really want to serve the men in your dorm that you're getting a scholarship to check on, especially underclassmen who need good role models, then remember that time spent equals relationships built. If you really want to build relationships, you just have to spend time with people. And so I think in the school culture, that's so important too. So whether that's just like we talked about last episode, getting out of your office and getting into classrooms or walking into practices or being at their activities or just being present when kids are performing, those kinds of scenarios also build trust because the more often you're seen, the more people trust you. Let's dive into a culture of confidence, understanding and teamwork for a little bit too, because you know, those are ongoing conversations that are important too. You might recognize a culture of isolation or distrust and, and, and ramp up your response, but then how do you maintain a positive culture of confidence, understanding, and teamwork? Like with the other uh, conversations we've had, Will, I think it goes back to relationships with, with teachers and with students and, and parents too, just constantly checking in, constantly saying, how are you doing and how are we doing? How are we doing as a team, as a school team? I find the word pride probably belongs in this conversation too, because when there's a positive school culture, everyone's proud to be there and they will happily say, I love this place. I love working here. I love my colleagues. I love what we have going on. It shows a staff's commitment to the work when they're so proud to talk about how confident they feel in their work, how they feel understood that they're all in there together and how they feel part of a team. Nobody likes working alone, especially not doing this work alone. You need to feel like you've got a tribe around you. And if you hear that as they brag about their school, then you know you've got that positive culture and it's alive and well. So let's talk about ways that we can maintain that. And especially this time of year, uh, as we're in the middle of second semester and we're looking at that long road ahead of us to spring break and the end of school, there are some specific things, Jen, that, that we've talked about before too, of ways that you can strategize for building those cultures. So let me just jump on one first and then feel free to, to throw in some other suggestions too. You know, one is that we just talked about is being visible. And, and being visible is intentional because the longer that you're in this position, the easier it is to hide behind work. And so being visible is something that carries a lot of weight. And so for, in my practice, that often meant that I would try to start my day in front of kids with them as they're coming Mm -hmm. in in the morning. I know at the elementary level, sometimes that's assemblies or, or starting your day off together with some kind of routine. At the secondary level for me, a lot of that just meant walking the building, sticking my head into classrooms, being there when kids started the day, trying to touch base with as many of my non-instructional staff too by stopping by their offices for quick hellos and just making my presence known through that building that I'm here. I think it's probably the most important step. I've talked before about every student every day and you can do that by greeting the 
buses when they come in or greeting the students as they walk in. I hate missing bus duty in the morning, even when it's zero degrees and windy and cold. I'm out there because, boy, the first face they see, and then I know they've seen me. Mm. (laughs) And, you know, there's some other tricks too. I think it goes back to keeping your eye on how everyone's feeling. There's assemblies, of course, but there's also just so many things you can do putting a music jingle on the PA system, providing your staff with a surprise lunch, pulling some students and taking some selfies and putting them on Twitter, you know, connecting with, with staff in a way that it's so silly or funny or just really increases the mood. You know, this work we're doing is not, to use the proverbial phrase, it's not rocket science. It's connecting, it's learning, it's listening. And, and we can do that and have a really good time with it. And, you know, think outside the box in any way that you can, I think, and just make your building a place you want to go. Well, you probably find your way into many, many, many different buildings. And you can probably feel by the way the air it lies when you walk in, if it's a positive school culture. And I bet it starts with kids laughing, smiling, people glad to be there. Well, and that's one of the reasons why in my second book, Messaging Matters, How to Inspire Students, Motivate Teachers, and Reach Communities, the impetus of that work was if we don't control the narrative of what's happening in our school, someone else will. And so, right. often, so often I feel like principals are, are battling against a false narrative. They, they spend a lot of time responding to the distrust or the negativity or the bad news that might be happening among students or staff or scenarios or crisis moments or disciplinary situations. And often that's what we end up putting all of our time and energy into and and communicating back to our communities instead of managing those unavoidable situations because all those things are going to happen in a school community. That's because it's filled with kids and and teachers and parents and us. All those things are going to happen but that's not what the narrative right. has to be because while those, exactly. while that two or three percentage of your day of your school population is involved in those negative things, the other 97, 98% of your population is involved in positive learning and activities and creativity and innovation and, and aha moments. Exactly. So then how do we capture those little moments throughout the day so that at the end of every day we have a win? And so that's where right. we can, we can encourage that positivity, whether that's posting something back out on social media or putting it in a newsletter to parents or just getting on the PA and celebrating kids when they've done great things. But you have to, you have to control that narrative or you're not going to maintain that, that culture of positivity. Well, when I, I worked in a school once, I, I was there about five minutes before I realized we were in trouble because one of the teachers who was in charge of 300 uh, middle schoolers eating lunch, her big thing was silent lunch. So when one or two students would get feisty or throw food or whatever, the entire room had to be quiet for days. And, And I thought, this is terrible. The whole room is silent because of a few students. And one of the hardest things I ever did as a leader, but I think one of the best was I said to her, no more, we're not doing this anymore. We're going to take the two or three who threw the chicken nuggets and we're going to deal with them. But we are not going to literally silence 300 other students Mm -hmm. because that is a school culture killer. And so by doing that courageous thing, and I infuriated that teacher, she didn't speak to me for years, but by doing that, all those students and all those parents and all of the teachers who were too scared to take this one teacher on, all of them thought, yes, you know, we can literally get our voice back. So Mm -hmm. sometimes for school leaders, it it takes courage. It takes courage to say, no, that's not who we're going to be. We're going to be somebody, we're going to be something different. Well, and I saw that modeled at the secondary level too by a a principal that I had trained under when I 
was an assistant principal who I watched. I had been in a previous school district where high school graduations were fairly painful because kids were, they were seated by alphabet. They were ordered what to do throughout the entire time. And by the time you got to the graduation ceremony, there was so much resentment. All they wanted to do was create as much disruption in the ceremony that the the whole experience was painful for parents, kids, and the school. And when I went to work for this specific principal, and I'll name her because um, she's a friend of mine, but her, uh, Donna Brogan, Donna's approach was during graduation practices to pause and ask the students, how would you like to handle this next part of the graduation ceremony? I would like some feedback from Brilliant. you, ideas yes. on what you uh, what you think about the seating arrangement. Oh, let's rearrange some things here and move things here. And, and when you're dealing with large numbers of kids, that can feel chaotic and it can feel a little bit um, disconcerting. But what I discovered after watching her do this was that by the time she finished her day of practice with those students, she had listened so much and asked so much for their right. input they felt like they owned the graduation ceremony. And by the time the ceremony itself took place, those kids had so much pride in making sure that that evening was beautiful, productive, and something that their parents could remember. And I remember standing there watching her do this, and I could even overhear some fellow leaders that were kind of criticizing how long this was taking, but I had seen the opposite. I had been in a school where- where there was no listening, there was no collaboration, there was no input from kids. And I saw the result of a bad graduation ceremony. And then I watched her do this, the painful and more deliberate approach of listening and gathering input. And then I saw the outcome of those kids having a beautiful graduation ceremony. And that really set the tone for me as as a school leader in my approach. When I was in charge of those same graduation ceremonies years later of just that, that long, deliberative, collaborative approach and that doesn't just work in graduation ceremonies, does it, Jen? It's everything, right? Because then you don't have a bunch of students who want to sabotage the adults. You have students who say, no, 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 this reflects on me. So we are going to make this work. And there's nothing more like a positive group think with a bunch of kids. Well, Principal Matters listeners, I want to thank you for taking time this week to listen, to learn, and to grow. As so we've talked about, how do we address cultures of isolation and distrust and turn them into places of understanding and competence and teamwork. And none of us will ever do this perfectly, but I know that you care about growing and that's what these reflections are all about. Jen Schwanke, thank you so much for co-hosting today and for the next several weeks as we continue to explore our series on strategies and solutions that work for school leaders. Until next time, thanks for doing what matters. Bye everybody, we'll talk soon. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com.